In this episode of the STEM Space, we talk all about motivation. Are you struggling to keep your students engaged, curious, and on task? How do we encourage students that seem checked out or just don't really care about the content? I talk with Claire about our own struggles with student engagement and strategies we've tried to increase intrinsic motivation and curiosity in our classroom. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Natasha. Hey, Claire. So I have a question. I'm, I'm kind of struggling in some of my classes with my students, and I'm thinking that you probably have a similar issue. Uh-oh. It's only like week three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's true. What is I think happening? It's hard, getting, it's hard getting kids back into school, of course, but getting mm-hmm. them to be interested in the subject that you need to teach them is, I feel like, always a struggle but especially at the beginning of the year. Do you experience yes. this? Yes. I have been, so there is a class right before mine that has a lot of my students from last semester and they always leave me feeling really good. They're like, oh my gosh, Mrs. Wilkerson, we loved your class. We love science because of you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, can you tell that to my new students? Because they haven't like <laughs> bought in yet. Like whatever I'm doing, you know, you feel like a salesperson sometimes because yes. you're like, I promise this is important. Just hang in there. You're going to love it. It's hard, but, you know, we'll get there together. And it's all this like building of a relationship in the beginning and you have like your quirky way of teaching and you're like, are they think it's funny? Are they making fun of me? Like you can't figure out your students yet. I get it. It's like this awkward beginning of a relationship kind of phase yes and I think your your point on it's like selling it to them is very true I on in class yesterday I was trying to teach a group of second graders about uh, we're doing the lander challenge and I was trying to talk to them about stability and I mean I was like running back and forth across the classroom being like okay is this stable or do I look stable now and I was like trying to be really animated and and they're like (laughs) staring at me like I don't know I'm like come on I I just I just want you to give me some feedback we got to get past this uh and it's just so hard sometimes when they're not connecting to a subject but I feel like if we go over the top sometimes trying to sell them these things that it's like almost like a false advertising of mm. uh, this. I don't know. I'm struggling with where I should be on how I feel about it. Be like, you should just be self-motivated to be interested in whatever I'm teaching. Um, like my, my own daughter came home the other day and I was like, so how's school going? What's your favorite subject? She goes, well, I thought it might be science, but science is actually really boring. And I was like, okay, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. <laughs> Like, no, science is really cool. Like, why is it boring? She goes, well, you know, we're just like learning about volcanoes. And I was like, and that isn't interesting to you? Like, then what? I mean, it's just downhill from there. Like, Right. <laughs> so, so what do you do? Oh, that's, 
Yeah, that's so hard. And okay, so there was a TikTok. There was a, <laughs> I got to bring this in. It's related. <laughs> there was a Texas teacher. I'm not sure where in Texas. And she had this TikTok go viral and it was all about motivation. And she is an English high school teacher. And she's like, I've been teaching for 16 years and I've never had this problem to the extent I'm having this semester. And she's like, after Labor Day, you know, I was like trying to bring all the energy and like, come on, guys, we're going to learn this and that. And it's, this is going to be so helpful in your life. And they just weren't having it. And she like flat out asked them, like, do you think school's important? And they're like, no. Like, do you think this class is important? And they're like, no. And she's like, how much am I supposed to give to students that just flat out don't care? And the comments, like there's thousands of teachers that are like, this lack of motivation is so disheartening and a reason that a lot of teachers leave because we're out here giving everything. You know, we prep all night, yes. we come in, we have our coffee and we're like, let's go. And you're putting on a show for class after class, you know, like hundreds of students sometimes. And it can be so discouraging when they're not giving you anything back. And I, I have ideas of maybe how, you know, I tips, but it's like so hard because every case is different. And yes. it's like we're experiencing it in STEM and they're building and creating. And then she's over here in English, which is a very different subject. And I'm sure math teachers are feeling it the same. So it's like coming mm -hmm. down to this question of, is this like a, right now a new phenomenon? Has it always been there? And, you know, something changed? I don't, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the, with the way that kids' brains have been rewired, and adults' brains have been rewired by technology. Uh, there's a lot of research studies that show that our use of screens has made our brains like less able to pay attention more, and so that's harder if you're not interested in a subject anyway to even focus for longer than, I don't know what it was now, like five seconds is how long your attention span is before you have to physically add some sort of input to refocus, which is wild. And That's I'm actually going, talk. right? Yeah. So I'm going to be uh, working on developing some sort of lesson because I want to teach my students this, like, this is what is happening to your brain. And this is how you can combat it because you're, we're in it. We're in that age of the iPhone. I have a kindergartner with an iPhone and I'm like, why? You can't even write your name. Why do you, why do you need an iPhone? <laughs> like, no. Um, yeah. And what it's doing to your brain. And then I talked to my principal about it and she was like, you need to put on some sort of something for parents, like have parents come in and you teach them the same thing you're teaching to the kids of, okay, this is where we are. And this is why it's important for you to limit screen time because of how it's rewiring kids' brains and their motivation is going down. And if they're not motivated to do things like basic stuff in school, do you think they're going to be successful in their jobs in real life? No, because there's going to be like probably even less motivation there because they may not care about the money <laughs> anyway. Right. But uh, so, so it's hard. And I think, it, like you said, it's different for every audience, how you can motivate them. One thing I have been doing that I've noticed really is engaging, and specifically yesterday, I was struggling with one class and getting them just to do anything or be active listeners even, if that would be helpful. And one thing I did is I said, okay, 
I know a lot of you have questions or things you want to talk about because all little kids want it to be story time. I don't know how many times a day I say, okay, is it an actual question or a story? A question requires an answer. And then they'll be like, no, no, no it's a question. I'm like, okay, yes. One time. And I'm like, no, this is, this is a story, not a question. Aww. So they just want to tell you about their day? They just want to tell you stuff, which I think is wonderful, but we don't have enough time. And then you lose the rest of the class once somebody starts telling a story. So I put a sticky note pad and a pen on a stool in the middle of the class. I say, okay, if you have a thought or a question in the middle of my lesson that you need to get out of your head, I want you to come write it down. And then I have a box outside my classroom. You save it and put it in that box and I will respond to you the next class. Hmm. And my engagement has gone way up. At first I thought this is going to be a big distraction and they're going to be all coming up here and interrupting my lesson. They're not going to be paying attention, but instead they're engaging with the subject matter more because they have more questions about it. They're like, well, I also want to know how, you know, you just showed me a turtle shell that you found. I also want to note, how do the turtle shells grow? Do they grow with them? Because they don't shed a turtle shell like a hermit crab sheds its shell. So they're, they're really wanting to genuinely know deeper about the subject that we're talking about. And they feel like their voice is going to be heard, which mm -hmm. is cool. Yeah. And that probably is especially useful for younger kids when they yes. still have that drive and that curiosity. Like Madeline, my kindergartner just asks me about everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> why is the moon over here tonight? Or why does it look different? Like things that she just notices around her. Um, mm -hmm. Trying to explain it to a kindergarten is like a whole other challenge. But <laughs> I like encourage all these questions because I know it's gonna go away at some point. And I, I'm dealing that with undergrads where they could care less about the moon, you know, yeah, or about any kind of forces and biology and this, you know, the stuff we're trying to teach them. And so you just like, okay, so the comparison, like right now we talked about the last episode, I teach forces in motion. And a lot of the topics are similar to what Justin, the engineering professor, my husband is teaching to his sophomore students at a totally different level, but similar topics. And he could do just direct instruction. He could have a whole lecture and they're pretty engaged because they want that information. Like it's so relevant to them as engineering students, as long as he is you know, dynamic and talking about real world applications and helping them think through these problems, they're engaged. I was like, mm -hmm. I lose my students in five minutes. If I yep. were trying to like <laughs> lecture <laughs> on forces and free body diagrams, they're just totally checked out. And the only way I can keep them in it is I pose a problem and have them work through it. And then they get stuck and they can't explain it or don't know what to do next. And that's when I give some more guidance. So it's mm -hmm. their needing to know what's next. Like you did the water bottle mystery, like your students are, I have mm -hmm. to know, <laughs> like what is happening, you know, leaving them with some sense of like, I guess, kind of pulling the curiosity out of them. Yes. So it's how do you keep your students curious, mm -hmm. I think is the thing. And that, that makes sense that it gets harder as they get older, because I feel like so much of traditional school has beaten curiosity out of kids. You know, like, yeah. don't even think for yourselves, I'm going to tell you what you need to know, just so you can pass the next test. But mm -hmm. it, can we find a way so that they actually care 
Like I need to know this information for life, which I feel like is a lot of the engineering students that your husband has is they're like, I really want to survive and be a good engineer. So I need to know this information, but that doesn't really work for everybody. So how do we keep everybody curious? Is it relating to them more? We need to, so building relationships in your classroom is super important. We've always known that, but is it so that we can figure out like we do the sparks and connecting to their interests and then be able to, we can't tailor to everybody with a lesson, but at least be aware of, of who your audience is because you built relationships with them. Right. And it could be, it doesn't have to be necessarily at the level of this kid likes origami and this kid likes soccer. It's almost just trying to connect with their, I don't know if I would call it culture, but I'll give you an example. I feel like on Thursday I had somewhat of a kind of breakthrough in building a relationship with my class because I started noticing how many students were walking in with um, Stanley Cups. <laughs> oh, was, like, yes. Bad of the Stanley Cup. <laughs> um, and so I started talking with this one student about it and she was like obsessed with it. And then there was another student that was like, oh my gosh, I hate Stanley Cups. I like the <laughs> Owala Cup. And because it has like a lid that closes the Stanley cup, you have to carry it and the water can spill. And then another girl's Mm. like, no, it's the hydro flask all the way. And so we ended up having like a 10 minute debate on which type of cup (laughs) is the best. (laughs) And the great thing is I'm teaching hate transfer in the next week. And someone was like, you know what? We should do an experiment and see which one will keep ice cold the longest. And I'm like, oh boy. Uh just yes. wait. <laughs> like, oh, this is amazing. I haven't told them we're doing this yet, but I'm so excited oh. now because they set me up perfectly for this next unit. And so what I was feeling is, you know, I'm just trying to connect with them in a way that they actually care about or like Starbucks. We talked about Starbucks, right? They're always bringing the Starbucks drinks. So I'm asking, I'm like, is that the white mocha, whatever frappuccino, like, you know, just noticing <laughs> and building relationships in that way can be in like a natural way, you know, where you just show that you care, first of all, and also respect your students Mm -hmm. um, and their interests. And it doesn't come across like superficial, you know? Yes. Yes. And then, and I've noticed that also with my, and of course this is with younger students that it works is I have the, a nature wall where I ask them to bring in things that they find in nature, like birds nests and feathers and things uh, and then we'll talk about them briefly at the intro to the class. And man, they get so excited. And I've had parents calling me saying, so my daughter says they're supposed to bring bugs into class. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is no requirement. It was like, if you find something you want to talk about. But they're just like so in it because they think, oh, there's something I can contribute mm. to class. And not just coming so that you can tell me what you think I need to know but I have something that I can contribute. And maybe that's part of it is figuring out, giving your students that, that voice and that place of you belong here. Cause I need input from you too. It's a big feedback loop. Right. And that's why I love so many of the projects that you do where you're having students giving back to the community, whether it was like the wheelchair mm-hmm. project. I know you've had them design a garden and it's this community aspect that, 
school is part of teaching you how to be a citizen and to be part of this community. And you have ideas that we care about. And that's why it's so important to give kids a voice. And it could even be, like you said, what you teach, like they care about these kind of bugs that they bring in. So <laughs> you have a lesson on it. Or when I talked in the last episode about the drag, um, the drag data, and I use their data, like they were the scientists and I kept calling them that. I was mm. like, today you are, you know, a science editor and you're going to look at everybody's data and tell us how could they improve it. And I, we need your voice to help us become better communicators. So I agree. It's like empowering students to feel involved and invested and also the confidence that they can do it. And so maybe, mm. especially in science, and that, I mean, I see this in my students for sure. They don't think they can do it. Like they came in yes. not liking science, had bad experiences and just were like, I can't do this. And just having this wall of, okay, I'll be here and listen, but I'm not going to participate. Right. Oh yeah. That is huge. And I actually haven't told you this, Natasha. I just thought of it now is when I first started teaching, you know, it's when I volunteered to teach a STEM class to a homeschool co-op group. And this was years ago. And I had, uh, I had them draw what a scientist or engineer looks like. And these were um, kindergarten through second graders. And I had a little girl that looked up at me and she goes, wait, can girls be scientists too? And I said, yes, absolutely. You can be a scientist if you want. Girls can be anything. And uh, so that little girl did so much in my STEM class. And that was, mm -hmm. I don't know how many years ago that was. It was a long time ago, five, six years ago. Um, so my school, it's a private school. We just opened up our elective classes for homeschoolers to be able to enroll and just do the elective classes. It's the first year we've ever done that. That little girl signed up and is in my STEM class now. Um, she's a seventh grader and she is one of the brightest engineer kids that I have in my classroom and just seeing her confidence level from a wait, I can like girls can do that to I can do this. Mm. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Oh, I love that. <sighs> I, yeah. It's like crazy how much impact you can have with a little activity like that. And the voice of confidence of one teacher like you believed mm -hmm. in her and you're like, yeah, of course you can do it. And she just took it and built this new confidence. And you can see that years later. And I think that's what we hold on to as educators because you have so many students and it can be really difficult and you're dealing with behavior issues and people who just don't care, but there are kids. And I've noticed that in the homeworks that the students that are the most outspoken aren't generally the best at the homework. It's these like mm. quiet ones in the back that never answer my questions, right? They're not engaged, <laughs> yes. but they're like amazing thinkers. Like they're writing all these explanations when I have them do videos, like I had them do the inertia demo and one like edited this whole video. I think you shared that one. So good. It was oh so my good. gosh. I shared that in class. <laughs> I asked her permission and I said, can I please share this with the class? And she said, sure. And she would like, could tell she was really embarrassed because she doesn't talk very much in class. But I, everybody gave her a round of applause and was like oh. doing an awing. And I'm like, okay, like I'm hoping to build their confidence because they will be teachers one day. Um, so they need to believe in themselves that they can teach this and understand it. And it's mm -hmm. the same with like your kids. If they don't believe that they can do science, they'll never consider a STEM pathway. So 
it's such a tricky question and there's just like so many factors and I'm sure teachers out there are like, yes, I'm dealing with this right now. <laughs> exactly. And hopefully, you know, just knowing that you're not alone in this struggle is important. But yeah, those things that you've brought up, the confidence issue and building that up with giving them opportunities to contribute in your classroom, that is huge. And uh, maybe even start your own way of allowing more kids to do give input, whether it be doing like the, the box, the question box that I have outside your, my classroom or some way for students to bring in their own interests that they can share. Uh, even I think older kids would benefit from a show and tell too. My kids mm -hmm. always loved that. If they had some way of contributing where you can show that their ideas and their thoughts are valued and that you're listening to them and so that then they will in turn hopefully offer you the same same respect and opportunity to, to share what you have to teach as well. I think that's huge. So Natasha, I'm going to leave you with one question. I randomly, I brought all my sticky notes that have been set in my box outside my classroom. I'm going to ask you one of them randomly. Uh, You're going to have to answer one of my questions that my third graders asked. I'm ready. Oh, this, is a, this is a good one. How do chickens survive in the wild without getting eaten? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's the circle of life. as an expert in chickenry, um, <laughs> are there wild chickens? That's the first question. I don't know. I will say that when I was working as an engineer, I had a business trip to Hawaii and there was an island that had all these wild chickens and roosters like no. just everywhere. So I guess that's the answer to my question. But I don't know if there's a lot of like wolves or whatever eats chickens. They, they live on an island. They that's live on the an solution. island, right? The You know, the killer island whales chickens. can't get them. They're, yeah, island chickens. But uh, I feel chickens. like they're mostly domesticated. So <laughs> humans protect them. And I don't have a good answer. Claire, you live in the rural Texas. They're, they all have people that protect them. I think that's what it is. They don't they don't survive in the wild. They either live on an island where nothing can get them or they have people to protect them. That's, I think that's a good answer. All right. I'm going to go with that. Okay. But for now, <laughs> stem space out. Do you have a question about STEM education or how to teach it? Email us at info at vivifystem.com. We would love to help and maybe even discuss it on a future podcast episode.